0: the 10th, 2013, and we are recording this meeting for the benefit of those who could not um, be here or those that will be driving endlessly around the school because there's no parking due to the fact that the Catholic Church across the street is having their annual uh, fair. Uh, I wanted to get started this afternoon and respect your time because I know those of you who were here at five that could find a parking space. And it'll it'll be on digital recording for those that are coming a little bit late or those that want to review our time this morning, this afternoon. Uh, Let me start with a word of prayer, and then I'm going to outline what we want to cover this afternoon, and then uh, I'll have the majority of the time, and uh, I'll turn it over to Corey at a certain point. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for building your church, and it's afternoons like this where we can talk about the... Um, polity of a church, the governance of a church. We can talk about some of the administrative issues that are important. The gift of leadership, according to your word in Romans uh, twelve, is uh, is a very important gift. A gift of service and leadership. We're to lead with zeal. And we're to do it as unto you. We're to do it to provide clarity to folks. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give me clarity as I speak. I pray your Spirit would help us understand. And I thank you for those that are leaning forward, wanting to be part of what you're doing here at Palm Vista to build this church. So thank you for your help, Lord. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you for coming this afternoon to our church family meeting. What we want to do is four things this afternoon. Number one, I'm going to be talking to you about the Sovereign Grace Ministries' polity. All that means is their governance, how we govern a church. And then I'm going to be speaking to you about an affirmation process for Bentley and his calling as a minister and a pastor. Third, Corey is going to be speaking to you about our finances and where we're at. And then finally, I'll come back up and lead us in prayer. And so let me get right to the polity. Polity, if if you want to know what polity is, polity is simply a system of leadership or governance a church or any organization uses. So polity is simply a, a system of leadership or governance that a church or any organization typically uses. Now, Sovereign Grace Ministries is an organization, it's a union, an ecclesiastical union of churches that has enjoyed 30 years of health and growth. In July of 2011, a former board member sent 600 pages of critique aimed largely at C.J. Mahaney, who's our current president. There was really an inability to process through this critique. Uh, The resultant lawsuit is a recent example of our inability to process it well through this critique. There was much speculation over the critique and a great loss of credibility among many. And a few decisions have resulted. First, numerous churches have left. I think the number is about 20%. Uh, second, CJ will no longer serve as president. He is resigning and that is official. It is, uh, I believe, April 12th is his last day, the day the polity will be <laughs> affirmed. And finally, the Sovereign Grace Ministry's polity has been redefined. It's been redefined. So. I've been serving on the board of Sovereign Grace Ministries since last March. It's been a year. I can't believe it. Uh, I've had a great hope for the future and gratefulness for our reforms over this last year. It's not been easy, but I do have hope for the future and gratefulness for the reforms. I ask you for continual prayer to resolve the current lawsuit. We need God's grace. We need God's mercy to lead us through this and to teach us and lead us in more into a more effective future. And I believe he's going to do that. We're going to pray to that end at the end. And I am very excited about the potential for the future. And, and much of that, I believe, rests on this polity proposal. Which, by the way, we're going to make available. It's also available on our website, the Sovereign Grace Ministries website, if you want to access it. So the polity was revamped by a team of seven pastors with consultation with all Sovereign Grace Ministry pastors and outside experts. And policy reform had been initiated earlier, but we were tasked to address weaknesses and propose a new policy by the fall of 2012. This policy was introduced in the fall of 2012, and then it was further edited over the, a 60-day period through further interaction with our pastors and among the polity committee. And the result is a 118-page document, which I said is on the web at Sovereign Grace Ministries. This polity outlines the system of leadership or governance of Sovereign Grace Ministries. And just to give you a background, typically a church polity kind of falls into three basic uh, forms. The first is an Episcopal or Apostolic form of the Catholic Church. They're electing a new pope here. Um, You have bishops, the the Methodist church, the Episcopalian church. So it's very top-down. Catholic church, apostolic succession. Second, you have the other type of of, uh, polity is a Presbyterian form of church polity where it's more uh, pushed out into presbyteries, regions that govern. uh, And then finally, congregational. And that's independency, totally independent churches. So Sovereign Grace Ministry Polity is a modified Presbyterian polity with strong congregational elements and Episcopal influence. You like that, huh? (laughs) Let me explain that for a moment. What we don't want to lose is we don't want to lose the fact that God has raised up some very gifted men to help us in this extra-local church-planning missions thrust. Uh, that, would be, that would be a little bit of the Episcopal influence, and the fact that we don't want to lose the gifting of men like that. But those men should not govern in the local church. See, in the Episcopal form of church government, they govern, they tell pastors when to move. If you've ever been in a Methodist church, uh, the bishop can come in and say, that's it, you, you're done pastoring here, we're going to move you to Arkansas, and the guy in Arkansas is coming to Miami. And the bishop makes that decision. We don't want that. Okay. Um, So, I'm going to try to explain to you the building blocks of our polity. Now, at a certain moment, I'm going to put a slide up on the screen. Please do not faint or scream. I'm simply going to use that slide to help try to begin the dialogue of understanding what it means for our polity to be uh, a, a, a modified Presbyterian polity. But... The polity proposal building blocks start with the individual church. This new polity is built first around local churches and their elders and deacons. We will continue to be largely responsible here at the local church level to raise up and ordain elders, appoint deacons, oversee the life of our church, make decisions together, walk through crises according to God's word, and live as disciples who worship and image. And proclaim Jesus Christ, who is the Gospel. And all of our local values remain intact, folks. Now, the second building block of this polity is what you're about to see. So you ready, maestro? Yes, I know. Relax. As Juan Luis Guerra would say, tranquilo, Bobby. This slide represents the Regional Assembly of Elders. What you see on the outside of this slide are the churches that represent any typical region. So if you think of Florida, think of all the churches that represent Florida. We also have a few churches in Georgia, one in Louisiana. So all those churches, I think there's about 16 of them in in our region, form the region. And you see the little green circles that you can't read what's in those circles? It says elders. So all the elders in a region form the Regional Assembly of Elders. And these regions will do most of the extra-local church work of caring for one another, assisting churches in crisis, planting churches in the region, and approving the ordination of elders. Nothing's changing in that respect. We've always had that. We've always had a regional leader. It was Danny Jones for a while. Then it's, Now it's Aaron Osborne. You'll see the regional leader up there. The only difference is, in the past, that regional leader was appointed by a leadership team. A a group of guys. used to be four of them. That is no longer going to be the case. That regional leader will be voted on by all the elders in the region. All the elders in the region. In addition, there will be a committee for church planting. So you see there the committee for church planting, right in the middle. There will also be a judicial review committee... That committee will deal with any kind of um, um, uh, charges against elders, uh, any kind of difficult local church problems that we need extra local help for. there will be a committee, a Judicial Review Committee, chosen from all the elders in the region. So we're friends, so it's being chosen from friends, and yet they're objective because they're not in that local church. And then each region will have, as well, an ordination committee so that when someone comes up for ordination, when, when, when someone is, is, uh, has been identified as called and he's going for ordination, we can protect the values that a man is, is properly trained, his character is according to the word of God. And there's going to be a standard test. Actually, there already is. Uh, it's just the test that Jose Prado uh, took when he was ordained. But it's just going to be more formalized in this ordination committee. And then a nominating committee of three elders is the committee that would, for example, if a regional uh, leader needs to be uh, chosen a new one, they would be the ones who would nominate uh, the names given by the elders. And so you have in a region, really the basic building block of our polity. The local church is still autonomous, in its governance. But we've always believed this. It is highly unwise for any local church to be totally independent. Because there's going to be situations that come up in a local church where you need outside wisdom and at at times outside adjudication. Outside adjudication. Okay. The next building block is the Council of Elders. So the next slide, please. Council of Elders. Okay, so if you take all of the elders if you take each church in Sovereign Grace Ministry and each church will send one or if it's a particularly large church I think the number is 750 they can send two so no church will have more than two elders on the Council of Elders but this will be um, each church will have one representative uh, in the Council of Elders and the Council of Elders will be responsible to elect the members of the Executive Committee so you see here the Executive Committee This is what is now called the Board. So we're changing the name to the Executive Committee. And this Council of Elders will uh, elect the Executive Director of Sovereign Grace Ministries. Formerly he was called the President. So the Executive Director, if you see down below where it says Leadership Team, um, they will elect the Executive Director. And they will also elect various members of key committees, such as the Nominating Committee, the polity Committee, the Theology Committee, and they will be the authoritative body that oversees Sovereign Grace Ministry. So, if if I could just help you think about it for a moment. Um, These are the men, I think, that would be particularly gifted in leadership, strategy, preaching, teaching... These are the guys that we're used to seeing at our conferences. Uh, These are the men that lead our our Bible school, our Bible college. Uh, These are the Dave Harveys, the Jeff Perswells at at this present time, CJ, uh, the Bob Coughlins. um, These are the the folks that I think have that that gifting that we need. And we want to let them lead. But in the past, you didn't have an executive committee. In the past, you didn't have a council of elders that voted on this person. In the past, you just had a small group of men who led everything and made a lot of decisions. And we feel like that, um, we wanted to move away from that. Actually, we've been trying to move away from that for many years. To my knowledge, at least three or four. But this is now the formalized way to move away from it. What we don't want, when I say modified Presbyterian, is this. We don't want sovereign grace to fall into simply a bunch of committees that fight over whether you spend money to plant a church in Botswana or in Cuba or in South Miami versus Boca Raton. It can get bogged down. We want a polity that, that makes sure that, that authority is spread out, that it's not top-down, but yet a polity that gives some gifted men a chance to go with some of the giftings God has given them to lead, if that makes sense. And again, we're... we're you know, We're trying to balance sort of this, there's a couple of really gifted guys and they set the pace and everybody just sort of goes with it versus every church is independent and, and, and does whatever it wants to do. And somewhere in there is this idea where the, the main um, emphasis is out to the regions. Each region, in a sense, kind of cares for itself. Each church is autonomous in its governance and yet we're, we're, we're together so that we can benefit from giftings sort of in an extra-local way. Also, you'll see the Sovereign Grace Court of Appeals, one of the things that I, feature that I like very much on this is if an elder is brought up on charges. If you can go back to the previous slide, please. Let's say an elder in one of these churches is brought up on charges. Right now, we don't have a formal way to deal with that. That's Part of the, what happened with CJ, okay? when those charges came out, we didn't have a formal way in our own polity to deal with it. By the way, that's not unusual. We've, we've been talking a lot with the Presbyterians, with the Baptists, Southern Baptists, uh, different forms of, of Reformed Presbyterian type churches, and they said, you're like any movement, you hit about 30 years, you, grow, you outgrow what you had, and this is typically the next phase for any movement. Now, what has complicated ours is the way these things were brought forth, no doubt. But, so if that elder is brought up on charges, whether by you or another elder, there's a place to go, the the Regional Judicial Review Committee. And if that committee comes to a finding, but somebody in one of those churches or maybe one of the other elders says, I want to appeal that, go to the next slide, Thank you. They can appeal it to the Sovereign Grace Court of Appeals. And that has one appellate elder from each region. So, what does that do? That gives everybody a chance to do what the Bible says don't entertain a charge against an elder except by one or two witnesses. And let the elders, with impartiality, judge the affair. So, you have elders that aren't from that local church listening to the arguments, looking at all the papers. In a sense, it's like a court, but it's a court of friends trying to understand what God is doing and issue a right and, and just verdict in that situation. Now, go back to... Okay, stay right there. Notice where it says the executive committee. That executive committee will be elected by the Council of Elders and oversee key ministry, financial, and legal responsibilities of Sovereign Grace Ministries, largely handled by the leadership team. So that's a layer that we didn't have we put it temporarily in on the board, which I've been on since March, but we want to formalize that, not call them a board any longer, call them an executive committee, because they're really they're just overseeing. Uh, and then they serve as an oversight board on behalf, on behalf of the Council of Elders. So the Council of Elders elects these men. So on behalf of the Council of Elders. And then you have the leadership team And they will facilitate and lead central functions of Sovereign Grace Ministries, international missions, training of pastors, support of church planning, engaging in theological issues, support of the regions and their committees, conferencing, Okay, so that leadership team is really coming up with the theme of conferences and the speakers, music, and relations with other denominations. So the leadership team will be led by the executive director, who who will be nominated by the executive committee, and affirmed by the vote of all the Council of Elders. So every church will be able to vote on that guy. One, every church will have one representative. If you're over, I think, 750 members, you get two, but nobody gets more than two. Okay, so the polity proposal. In essence, here, here is, I'm going to drill down a little bit into the polity in a moment here, but oh, just overview in your mind. You could take that off because that's probably giving someone a headache. Um, it's essential self-governance. It's common biblical values, and they haven't changed. Those of you who've been in sovereign grace or have been in our church for years, that, the values have not changed. It's doctrinal fidelity to our statement of faith. It's cooperation and care. It's acknowledging we need one another. We pompous the benefits from the care of other pastors. want to formalize that. We need help in crises, should crises emerge. And you know they're going to emerge. Jesus said, I'm going to build the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, Folks, that means there's going to be crisis. It's partnership and mission so that we can help one another in reaching the world with the gospel. It's affirming this polity and it makes necessary changes. Now, as I said, this proposal, this polity proposal, is the result of almost a year of study and interaction amongst Sovereign Grace pastors and Christian leaders outside Sovereign Grace Ministries. And the reason, again, for this new proposal is to better define the nature, function, and purpose of how our family of churches interact with one another. So, just to summarize the most relevant points of the polity, and by the way, feel free to ask me any questions you'd like, You know, phone calls, emails, I'll come over, have lunch with you, whatever, we can talk. But just a summary of this polity is this. It it outlines the profound but voluntary partnership of churches. And through it, Palm Vista Community Church will maintain its essential autonomy, ruled by the local elders, while benefiting and contributing to a family of churches joined by common biblical values and committed to helping each other in maintaining doctrinal fidelity, cooperation in care, help in church crisis, partnership in mission. Now, Corey and Bentley and I are trusting God that we will affirm this polity as a church and make any necessary changes and commit to continuing with this family of churches that has served us so well. In, in a sense, what we're doing here with this polity is saying this. We're granting permission to this union of churches to perform certain appropriate extra-local functions. And we are committing to certain theological and polity principles. We are allowing others to make statements about any potential departure from Sovereign Grace Ministries if they deem it divisive or heretical. Now such concessions are important if we want this voluntary association to have teeth to it. And not something we can easily join or leave with diminished commitment or consequences. But none of this takes away the fixed, voluntary nature of the association. If our eldership determines that the partnership is no longer beneficial to our church, we may withdraw without any any financial or legal penalty. So this retention of the right to freely associate is preserved through this polity proposal. Just to highlight, what are our common biblical views... Well, Sovereign Grace Ministries is a family of churches built together relationally around shared biblical values. What are they? Well, first, we are evangelical. What does that mean? We, in our understanding, we are evangelical in understanding of salvation and the authority of God's word. This is the final authority. No church council, no doctrine of man. This is. Salvation is in Christ alone, by faith alone. Second, We are reformed in our understanding of salvation, in our soteriology. Next, we are continuationist in our understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit. The polity proposal, it's not a confession of faith, but it explicitly points to the Sovereign Grace Ministry's statement of faith and these seven shared values as the basis of our union. We're reformed in our soteriology. We're gospel centered, expository in our preaching. We're continuationist in our pneumatology. We are complementarian in our leadership for the home and the church. We are elder governed and led churches. We are national and international outreach and church. We are committed to national and international um, outreach and church planting. We are interdependent churches, united in fellowship, mission, and governance. All Sovereign Grace Ministry churches subscribe to the Sovereign Grace Ministry Statement of Faith and are committed to these seven shared values. This shared commitment and these values is the basis for our ability to function together as a family of churches. In one sense, we need this union because it maintains doctrinal fidelity. Like-minded churches... Maintaining the standards of ordination. If a man is to be ordained, that he can handle the scriptures well, that his character is requisite w- with what the Word of God says. I think it assures the future health of our church. Now, the bulk of the responsibility will be carried out locally in this union. And, and, and as we locally carry these things out, we are united with others doing the same thing. Listen, we need outside perspective when crisis hits we need outside perspective in some of the hardest moments of church life. It's going to come when we have to practice church discipline, or we have to deal with the potential removal of an errant elder. It's in the scripture. Paul had to do it. And those are the moments when we would be foolish to act independently. Foolish. We must cooperate to advance the gospel. And and, 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 and we need godly accountability. We all do. Pastors need it. We need outside assistance in dealing with these key church crises. That's that regional judicial committee and court of appeals. We need the advice of a regional leader, oftentimes a man really gifted in church planning, gifted of the Lord. He's not telling us what to do, but he's helping us with his counsel. And we need other regional elders to help resolve conflicts and difficult situations in the local church, So we need all that. And I believe this maintains all that. No eldership is capable enough to independently navigate through all the ups and downs of pastoral leadership on its own. They need others who are wrestling with the same issues and have experienced God's grace and leadership. This last week, I was in Orlando with a regional group of elders. And it was great. From the teaching we received, to the encouragement we received, to the times of prayer for one another, to the times of laughter around meals, the friendships. Pastors need that. You need that as a church. When we gather together for regional assemblies, um, we just found out that that Metro Life is just going to have a a weekend of worshiping the Lord and seeking God around the Labor Day weekend. We want to let you know about that. And they're just doing it. And they're inviting everybody to come that wants to come. I believe that the youth are talking about maybe doing something here regionally uh, at Riverside Christian Fellowship. They have a facility hosting it there, maybe asking some churches from St. Pete and ourselves and other churches. We need to gather together periodically as believers and encourage one another. See, a distinctive of Sovereign Grace Ministries has always been this level of care provided for pastors and this interconnectedness of the members of the churches. And Quite frankly, we've kind of lost that a little bit in the last couple of years. We, we, we got too big, too fast. We lost some of these gatherings. We're trying to recapture them on a more regional level. Before we were small enough that we almost had to do something nationally to have enough people. But now we can probably do it regionally. And that's what we're looking at. And then the partnership and mission... I mean, the Great Commission to Make Disciples of All Nations that I talked about this morning, we need help to build a shared theology and values and strategy and guard them wisely to reach the nations with the gospel. We need to pool our resources, our financial resources, our our human resources. We need to benefit from gifted and experienced church planters. That's where our union of churches will fulfill this role, regionally through partnership represented by the Regional Assembly of Elders and the Regional Church Planning Committee. It will allow church planning to be done wisely and efficiently at the regional level. I mean, we know Florida. Let's say South Florida. And we can, we can dream together and pray together and give together and, and strategize together. I think that's going to really release more ministry. You know that. If a church is run by one person and that person does all the ministry, you're clogging up ministry. A good pastor is equipping the members for the work of ministry and releasing them with appropriate oversight, with appropriate understanding to what's being taught. But, but folks have been given gifts from God and they can run with them. And I think the same with this regional idea. So, let me just go back to um, a summary here on the polity. Here's the way, here's the way it's going to work. Um, we're going we're to take a ratification vote on the polity on April 12th. That's why that's the day that C.J. resigns. He's already said he was going to resign. He said that in November. We posted it after he said it. Uh, he, he gave an official communication a couple of days ago. We responded as a board. We're affirming, receiving that resignation. So the day the new polity goes into effect, can you go back to the second slide, please? The day the polity goes into effect, then there'll be no more president of Sovereign Grace Ministries but an executive director, And on that day, C.J. resigns. And this this takes into effect. Then, on April the 19th, Palm Vista Community Church will designate one elder to the Council of Elders. So we will officially designate either myself or Corey to the Council of Elders. And then on May the 3rd, we will sign a letter of intent as a church. And that just simply says, listen, we're signing this letter of intent um, to, to, to join the Union of Churches, and um, that letter of intent says the following. We have two years of easy in, easy out, in a sense, to see if this is, if this is what we want. So it, it sort of gives everybody a, a way to ease into this new policy because we understand many of these terms, much of this is going to be brand new for many of us. So we lined the, signed the letter of intent on May the 3rd, And then on May the 31st, we affirm the executive director. So the executive committee, which I'm a part of, is busy now. Their job is to nominate people. And then on May the 31st, we're going to vote. The Council of Elders will vote on an executive director. There will be names there, and they will vote on an executive director. And then uh, in June of 2013... We're, the regions will be either reformed or solidified. Now, I think Florida's going to probably pretty much stay the same. And then in July of this year, the, our region will elect the regional leader. Can you go back to the first slide? If you just came in, I apologize for the slide. I did explain it, okay? <laughs> All the little green circles around the edge are, represent the elders of any given church in the region. So we'll elect a regional leader. That'll be in July of 2013. And then, also in July of 2013, the regional leader will help us as we we populate these different committees on the regional level. Okay, you can take that slide down because I'll explain that later if you came in late. (laughs) Um, So what does this mean for us? Well, here's what it means for us. That, yes, we will probably be making adjustments to our bylaws and constitution for Palm Vista Community Church, I don't think we'll be making a lot of them. I think we're pretty much in line with this. Uh, But we will be doing that. We'll be communicating that with you, working with uh, some of our key leaders in that. Um, This new polity represents a significant decentralization of sovereign grace ministry into regions that will do most of the work of this union of churches. And this sort of accountability for elders and churches will come instead of just a small group of men from some distant city. It's going to come from amongst ourselves through this judicial appeal process in the regions. Amongst our friends. The guys I was just having dinner with in Orlando last week and praying with and studying theology with. If we have a problem in Palm Vista, these guys, we'll call, they'll help us. They'll be part of those committees. Friends who share our values. Help providing accountability. So, We um, we're gonna make all this available to you. Study it, ask us any questions that you want. We certainly do want the church to affirm. We we can commend it to you, church. I mean 118 pages, that's a lot. But we can commend it to you. I can commend it to you in in full conscience. And so that is the polity process, and I want to move now to the second thing that we want to cover and that would be Bentley Crawford. Bentley Crawford. Um, <clears throat> if you came in late, we're doing four things this afternoon. One, talking about Sovereign Grace Ministry polity. That took, that's going to take the bulk of the time. Two, talking about Bentley's calling and the affirmation of his calling and his positioning. Let me just be clear about what I think Scripture teaches. And I alluded to this in my February 24th sermon. So if you want to go access that sermon on February 24th, I spoke a little bit about this. I believe that the Spirit calls, the Spirit appoints, and the Spirit Spirit commissions their leaders, their pastors. But the church, I believe, has a key role in affirming those decisions. And it's a meaningful affirmation. So, as elders, Corey and I, we believe and we think that Bentley is called to be a pastor. But our growing conviction is that our objective evaluation and subjective sense alone is not sufficient. We are desiring and trusting that God is and will make his calling apparent to the congregation serving to deepen and widen our observations of this man and his calling. Therefore, we mentioned this in the fall, but I understand if a lot of you said you did, because we maybe did it quickly, or it might have just like gone right by you. But in our fall church family meeting, we said we wanted to solicit member input and affirmation regarding Bentley's pastoral calling as we look to this next fall, and a possible pastoral internship for Bentley. So it, we issued an informal invitation then that, that we realized was probably either forgotten or kind of just went right by you. So what we want to do is, is formally say, we want your affirmation. But we also we kind of want to describe it a little bit to you because the question is, how do we get formal uh, congregation's formal affirmation. We will not be taking a vote on Bentley. Let me just be clear about that. That'll be, that's one sort of extreme. But what we do want is, is meaningful input from you. You've had an opportunity to hear Bentley preach. Next Sunday, you'll have another one. You've seen him, like you did this morning, do announcements. And not only do announcements, but if you were observing, I mean, pastorally caring for the congregation in that prayer. And he wasn't just putting on a show. It's what's in him. It's what happens to a man when he gets in front of a congregation. It's called a public gift. And the Spirit uses men like that. Uh, Those that have been in his community group have have, uh, been able to benefit from his care now over a year. The key is, we don't want to move forward until you have an opportunity to express to us, a confirmation of that. So how do we do that? What exactly are we asking you to do? Well, I think, if I can say what we're not asking you to do. We are not asking you to become an elder at Palm Vista and pull out the 80-point evaluation that we actually have and that Corey and I have used in the past and sit there with your visors on and your little reading glasses, and when he's preaching, you're like, you know, and every time he speaks, you're evaluating him. A, I don't think that would be right. B, I don't think the Lord wants that. And C, I don't think that's a burden you want. You want to enjoy the care that God's going to give you through Bentley. See, this is not a technical thing, it's a God thing, it's, it's a Godward sense you understand that when we hired Bentley as a church administrator that he, he felt an internal call and that we then began to give him responsibilities to lead a community group and to preach because we wanted to f- affirm the internal call with an external call. The church does that. I believe it does it primarily through the elders but with the meaningful participation of the members. So so what is God saying? You have a sense of what is God is saying and And specifically, honestly, I think the feedback, the specific feedback is going to come from Bentley's community group. From other community group leaders. But also from you. But there's no pressure here to respond. We're not trying to put a burden on you that the Lord's not putting on you. But it's in a general sense. Can you say in a general sense, yes, yes. Not a hypersensitive, hypercritical, hyper observing of Bentley atmosphere, but a Godward sensing of what God is doing. Now we've done something similar in the past, but never this intentional. Never this intentional. I mean, our desire is that you would get to know Bentley and Sarah Love in relational contexts. I mean the Crawfords want you to know them better and they want to get to know you better one of the things that we are going to do is have them attend each community group and just make it a time where they can come and, and just, for example, share their story. You may not know it in detail. And then answer questions that you might have, interact with you. And then beyond that, we want you to let us know your thoughts, your observations, and the mechanism for receiving feedback will be the Palm Vista online comment section. So you have to log in, And there'll be a section there where you can give us your comments. They will be just for us, and we'll be the ones reading those comments. Okay. I think that's it with Bentley. Hello? Corey? You're on.
1: All right. Do you
0: this right here? Do you prefer this? Fine. Okay.
1: Ooh, hey, all right, I'm going to do some little dangerous here and ask if you want to stand up right now just for a minute, don't go anywhere, if you want to stretch, stand on up, turn around, shake a little bit, whatever you need to do there, go, get the circulation going here, need your attention for a few moments longer, stay here though, we do want to get you out here in a decent time as well, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Al. That was a mouthful, difficult task. Thank you, bro. Not easy to sum that up. All right, great. You can have a seat. Thank you. Well, in conclusion, before our prayer time, I want to give a little family update in regards to our membership and our finances. This is what you could call a little annual checkup. You know, you go to the doctor, get your weight, blood pressure, vitals, whatever it may be, just to get a quick snapshot of your health. And also some measurements that you can compare to during the next physical exam as well. So we're going to give a few vitals tonight. Really evidences of grace in many ways for us as a church. The first of all, just let you know how many we have as a part of our church poem vista as members. We have 132 adult members and 97 member children, not including those who are currently going through our starting point new members class. So, the bottom line, do the math, is 42% of our membership are children below 18 years of age. That's a lot. That's a lot. And uh, that just spawns a few thoughts. Just want to mention briefly. Number one, thank you to all of you who have dedicated time to caring for these children. A majority, I think probably safe to say a majority of these 97 children at some point or the other were a part, particularly of our Palm Vista Gospel Island, our children's ministry. So thank you for all those who, are ser- who have served I just got to say a thank you to Nestor and Maite who are here, who have led so ably for so many years, really carrying the burden, perhaps even more than they should have, carrying the burden because of their love for your children, love for the Lord and this church. They are, I think as it may have announced, really at the beginning of this year, stepping back, not totally stepping out, is that right, but stepping back, uh, and we're glad about that. And, uh, but I want you to know that. We're trusting the Lord to raise up others. Some of you even to uh, help insist in the teaching, in the nursery as well, as we continue on with our children's ministry. I just want to say one more thing as well. I don't have a lot of time here, but I want to thank you, you know, for those of you here who, who don't, don't have children in the household. This is a youthful church with many, many children. And we realize that at times, for those who are in a different season of life, it can be a little difficult. There's a, it can be a, a cultural, familial gap, so to speak. And I just want to say thank you for your care and love for us to be a part of this church. We realize there are many children, many families here, and it's really your humility and your love for your Savior that you're joining with us as a church, and we need you. And we're glad that you are part of of our church. So thanks for loving us and being one of us, whether you have children or not. Well now for our financial vitals. This is going be the remainder of our time. We want to give you the financial big picture. This year we've taken an important step by forming a financial advisory committee. Big word. Don't let us scare you. It's a number of individuals. Actually let me tell you who it is. It's Eliana, Sergio, Zeke, and Gustavo, who are on the financial committee. Bentley is there as well, as one who does the finances day in and day out, and I'm leading that committee. That has been formed this year. And this committee, really for us, is a source of, of wisdom, of counsel, and accountability when it comes to our church finances. And what you're going to see tonight is really a, partially really a fruit, fruit of the financial committee, their encouragement, their suggestions. It's also the fruit of Mr. Bentley Crawford's hard work as well, crunching all the numbers, the data, the financial reports, and yes, this PowerPoint as well. So thank you, committee. Thank you, Bentley. So instead of just handing out a few paper reports this evening, we want to give you some visuals, a PowerPoint presentation. Our goal is this, to help you clearly understand... our financial picture we want to do it plainly we want to do as simply as possible i think you'll find much to be encouraged by as well as some things you may be challenged by as well we're not only going to look at our income and expense numbers but we're also going to look at giving as well so let's do that now let's get the slide going you see what we're going to the figures we're going to give you are our mid-year report That is, we're midway through our fiscal year. It began in September through February is the first six months. So this data we're giving you, it's our halfway point for the fiscal year. It is the six-month data. What we want to look at first is our income and expense report from September through February, and there you have it there on the screen. This is the big picture. You'll see our income for this first six months, $177,000 and change, and our expenses a little over 170000 This is big. And we are so grateful. As you can see, our income has exceeded our expenses. So if your eyes start blurring from this point on, and you don't hear anything I say, hear this. We're in the black, okay? That's a big deal, okay? Five years of economic <laughs> woes, and uh, we are in the black. And uh, we are thankful for that. Great. Well, number two, slide number two here. What we're going to show here is our mid-year, okay? Look at our income. Our actual income, okay, on the right, compared to what we budgeted or projected through February. So as you can see, there's a $20,000 variance in our favor. That is astounding news. We did not necessarily think we would be there. We're obviously hoping and praying. We would say that about, I think, about half of that variance of that excess is really, I think, one or two large-time gifts, okay, that really put us up um, over the hump, so to speak. So while we can't bank on that and plan on those one-time gifts in the future, we are very grateful for them, and that has put us ahead as you see. And that little extra income, has been needed, as you'll see in the next slide, the third slide, we'll see our expenses. Our expenses, actual expenses, have also exceeded our budgeted, budgeted expenses. So you can see there, budgeted 160, we've actually spent 170. So about a $10,000 variance in expenditures. Um, there's no one reason for this. There are multiple reasons, but certainly we've bought some new assets, such as new computers, new office equipment, which has contributed to this excess in expenditures over the first six months. Well, number four, slide number four. Here is a look at our expense breakdown. and I'm going to help you through this. It's a simplified version, obviously. We've broken our expenses as a church, down into two major categories. We have on the upper left there what's called the operations category. This includes our overhead, such as the school rental, renting this school on a monthly basis for the morning services, and occasionally the evening as well, not to mention our youth meetings, etc. Also includes the rental of our office space, as well as our computer equipment, equipment, phones, etc. That is operations. So we spent, through this first six months, 35 grand and change on that. Then we have this other very large category we've entitled right here, ministries and allowances. This is money that goes towards funding all of our local, as well as our extra local ministries as a church, as well as well as those who lead the ministry, namely Al, myself, and Bentley. This category, as I mentioned, ministry and allowances, covers our ministry budgets, including salary and benefits of our leadership team. So I want to break this down a little more so you can understand what we're talking about here when we say ministry. So if we can go to the next slide here, Matt. Here's a breakdown of the ministries, both locally and extralocally, all right, that we're involved with in some way. Obviously, the local ministries are those that we have right here at Palm Vista. There are quite a few, as you can see. These aren't necessarily even all of the ministries. We wanted to give you a flavor just of some of these ministries, so you can see. Obviously, as I mentioned, it goes towards covering allowance, salary, and compensation for us as elders and Bentley as an administrator. It goes to the cost of some of the operations, not the operations, but part of that allows us to have our Sunday services goes towards a budget for community groups and our leadership training our reclaimed singles ministry just working our way down to the left hand column there our catalyst youth group children's ministry at the bottom our starting point membership class our bible 45 sunday school covers our finance and administration guest welcome and lastly their web and social media this is some of the ideas of the ministries that we have going on right here that the budget helps support locally. And then we have another category called extra-local ministry, all right? Now, these are ministries either that we're helping finance or we have members who are a part of. We may be giving one-time gifts to, but we have a connection. So they may not be a Palm Vista ministry per se, but in a sense, our members are involved in these ministries and one way or the other, we are helping support that ministry. So you see a list starting with Cuban, the DR, working your way down through Heartbeat in Miami, etc. So just some of those ministries that are included in the large piece of that pie ministry and allowances. Great. Well, moving on now to our balance sheet. What you have here is how much money we currently have as a church. Here it is right here. Uh, You notice the general fund is really our operating expenses. We have in our bank account, $44,000. A little bit in the Cuba DR fund currently. And then we have the money market down below, $122,000. That essentially really is, that's our savings as a church. All right. We have a few. Our current assets listed there. Our total worth right there, $176,000 is the money that we currently have. All right. Or our worth... In totality, what we want to do is this. We thank God we still have some savings. It's been some lean years, last several years, God has provided. What we're hoping to do with our financial committee is as we go into the budgetary process for the next fiscal year, to designate a good portion of the savings towards our building fund. That's always implicitly what it's been thought of. This is money we're putting aside, but we haven't done that formally into an account. This is money that we're going to designate as untouchable money that we are saving, that you can know where it stands, where we stand, in the process of saving for a permanent church facility that one day we could lease or hopefully own our own church property that we can inhabit 24-7 if we need to. We're hoping that day will come. So we're going to be working with our financial committee this next budgetary year to really a portion, a part of the savings towards that and work towards a plan to be able to a little more aggressively or at least intentionally add to that building fund with time and to let you know where we stand. So this would be some of the seed money. You could say, so to speak. Great. Well, next you want to take a look at some of the giving of our members. And you can go to the next slide there. Just an introductory slide there. I want to give you the data as well. A little snapshot of your giving as members. Um, this data is for the last calendar years. So the data we have here, as you see listed, is 2012. And just one moment here. And this is for January through December of last year. But before I do that, what we just flashed up here was give me an idea of our membership and our giving units. So, as you see, as mentioned, we have we have 229 total members plus children, 132 total members. But this item below here at the bottom is key. We call it household giving units. Really, what that is is would be families, family giving units. So obviously, in many ca- many cases, in a family, a husband and wife don't give separately. They give as one, right? So they are one giving unit. A single would be another giving unit if they're giving independently. Okay. So this is what we call giving units. Sounds a little impersonal, but it's the best way we can describe. All right? So in Palm Vista right now, among our membership, we have essentially 81 giving units. Okay? And that's the data we're going to take from and when we present some of the charts that are going to follow as well. Great. Let's go to the next slide here. Giving by household units. Okay? This data, once again, is, from, is from, from members only. We didn't take those who visit, who have been visiting, but those who are currently members of Palm Vista. What we have is this. Of our membership, 90% have given something over the last year. This could be a dollar, it could be more, a lot more. They've given something. 10% have either not given anything or have given anonymously through cash. That is a possibility as well according to our records. All right? Great. Next slide here. We also want to give you some giving averages, okay, per household unit. I think this is fairly self-explanatory here, but of those, okay, 81 household units in 2012, they gave a total combined 293,000. That's you guys. That's all of us together as a church, The average yearly tithe works out to be $3,856. The 2012 average monthly tithe works out to be $321 per month. What I'd like to do next is to be able to envision you for what could be. And these next two slides are going to be insightful and I hope helpful as well. I do want to make it clear about what we're going to show you is projections based, based on a tithe. And when I say tithe, I'm speaking about giving back 10% of your earned income. 10%, I believe, is a biblical, helpful principle. Even if it's not law for us today, people will vary on that, but certainly 10% as a tithe is biblical. And I think a very helpful benchmark What I do believe is this. God has called us to give sacrificially, generously, and cheerfully. And I I hope that one day, the giving will exceed the initial tithe requirements of the Old Testament. For some, you already are exceeding that. For others, I believe the tithe is a worthy goal to aim for. So we have decided to put down what it would look like if our 81 household units gave 10% of their income. And we've started with a very conservative salary amount, average salary amount of 40,000. I believe that's probably low, safe to say, but we wanted to start there. If the average household earned income at Palm Vista was 40,000 and everyone, i.e. the 81 household units were tithing, i.e. 10%, we have these figures on the next slide. There you see annual salary, simple math there, annual tithe, right there. Notice what this would mean if this were the case. The bottom line there is budget variance. What this means is what was given the previous year was two hundred and ninety-three thousand. If everyone on an average income of forty thousand gave ten percent, that would be three hundred and twenty four thousand dollars received, that would be an excess of thirty thousand dollars that we would have to release for ministry. Now let's do a calculation based on what I think might be a little more realistic. An average of $50,000 earned income per household. Let's see what the stats would be if that were the case and all the 81 household units were tithing. And there we have the numbers. Once again, look at that. If that were the case, $405,000 would be coming in this next year, 2013 and look at the budget variance, that last number at the very bottom, that would bring in an extra $111,000. That would take us a long way, wouldn't it? Not only releasing funds for ministry, but also even a possible permanent church facility as well. I think that's really cool, church. I really do. It's encouraging to note that this growth in releasing more ministry funds is not solely contingent upon us growing numerically as a church. We would desire to grow numerically. We would. But I don't believe our budget growing and our ministry resources is completely dependent upon growing alone. We want to see both. We'd love to grow. Yes, we would. But just imagine if we had these kind of numbers People were tithing. Once again, some are going to be more, some will be less. We realize that. But look at what is possible. So what I'm really trying to do is this. We're just using charts here to show us in really concrete, more concrete terms what faithfulness and giving may look like and the fruit thereof. Once again, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to give 10%. Some may give more. Some not able to. We'll give less. But I believe this can be a helpful and just yes, biblical benchmark to aim for as well. Well, 13, next and finally. Maybe you've wondered what it would be like or what a monthly tithe would amount to given your salary. So let's go to the next slide. And here's a chart to help you. And simply what it's doing is showing annual salary amounts on the left with the annual tithe amount, 10% of that salary in the middle, and what monthly giving based on the tithe would look like based on that given salary. That's something for you to look at, something for you to consider as well. Church, this is my desire. I hope this inspires you. May this challenge you. As we have taught and many of you know, God uses our money, which is really His money, is it not? To address our hearts, to address our affections, to address our loyalties. And this topic of giving, it does just that. Matthew 6:21, we read, "For where your treasure is, may I add, where your giving and spending is, there your heart will be also." So in closing, as you look at your contribution statement from this past year, 2012, you all should have received that last month. Remember, it's a statement that goes really beyond numbers. It's a window in some ways, into the heart by God's wonderful design. Many of you ought to be and need to be, I think, really encouraged by your contribution statement and really what it represents, God's faithfulness as well to you. Others of you might be challenged by what you read on that piece of paper, but that's good. Friends, if you are challenged, that is God's grace to you as well. Because as we've mentioned, He wants not just your money. He wants our hearts. So do, please pray. But what you can give this next year, and please pray for us as well that we'd steward the monies that you give God's money well as a church. Thank you so much. All right now.
0: Well, we want to conclude this evening with a time of prayer. And so to do that, I want to begin by reading a scripture, and I want to lead us in a couple of corporate prayers, and then what I'd like to ask us to do is to break up into small groups and to pray for a few things that I will suggest here. But if you have your Bible, if you just turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, excuse me. And we know that the church, when they met in Acts, did several things. And one of those things was pray. So we're going to have corporate prayer at this time. Um, But as we pray, I'd like this passage to be a guide for us. There are many prayers. This is one of Paul's prayers, and I think it's a great guide for us. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Notice the corporate nature of that. Strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is really a doxology. I believe it's part of the prayer, but it's a doxology. Now to him, it's a confession. It's, it's speaking the truth to one another in love here. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. I can think of a lot of amazing things. I can ask for some amazing things. He can do far above all that I can ask or think. How? According to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity that you give us to pray together. We are gathered as your people. Lord, we thank you for calling us together at Palm Vista Community Church. We thank you for the ability to gather and worship you. We thank you for the message this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we are set free, that we are forgiven our sins, and that we are free by your sacrifice, Jesus. What great news. What great news. Lord, we thank you for the families that you've restored. We thank you for the many marriages that are together right now because of what you've done through your people in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the gospel outreaches. We thank you for what you have allowed us to do in this community. Lord, in Cuba and the Dominican Republic. Lord, we thank you for the ministry that has gone forth at Heartbeat of Miami, Children Battling Cancer, the Cornwall Alliance, Latin American Mission. Lord, you've been so good to us. Thank you. Lord, thank you for the giving. Lord, thank you that 90% of those members of Palm Vista give. That is an amazing statistic in today's church. Thank you. And I know for many of them, very sacrificially. Thank you. Lord, thank you for the team of men that get to work together. Lord, thank you for the love that we have and and for the blessing it is to work together. Lord, thank you for the community group leaders and their wives that labor week after week to care and love Lord, thank you for the many leaders of ministry teams that help set up this facility, that help beautify this stage, that help welcome guests, that help care for the children, that help, oh Lord, with the youth and the singles. Lord, we're so grateful. We're so grateful. So now, Lord, out of a heart of gratitude, we would ask you just for a few things. Father, we pray that we would remain faithful and bold in your gospel proclamation in this community. Lord, we pray that we would know your love. It would sustain us today and tomorrow, that your love would be what motivates us. Lord Jesus, that we would live for you and you alone, by faith in you alone. Lord, open our eyes to what we typically do not see. Pull back the curtain of heaven. Let us see eternity. May eternity be in our hearts. May our values reflect that. May our time and our treasure and the use of our talents reflect that. May our passion reflect that. Oh, God. Lord, we pray for effective gospel proclamation. We pray to image Christ. We pray to worship you. Lord, we want to pray. For Sovereign Grace Ministries. We want to pray, Lord, that you would deliver us from evil and the evil ones who falsely accuse. Lord, we want to pray for this reform in our polity. Lord, we want to pray for the new leadership that you're raising up in a new day, and a new season. Lord, that we would come together as churches in partnership and see the gospel expand and explode and join with other movements and other like-minded men and women who are preaching the gospel. Lord God, that you would move and power in our nation, in our region. Countries like Cuba and the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and Bolivia, Venezuela, Argentina, Colombia, El Salvador. Just to name a few. Lord, build your church here at Palm Vista. May the gates of hell not prevail against it. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I would like is to take five minutes to break up into small groups and to pray simply for this, to pray simply for this, that God would provide for us a building and pray in faith. Uh, I just feel that God would, would, would save marriages that are about to break up, whether folks that are attending or folks in your neighborhood. I just felt that God wanted us to pray that. Pray for the good of this city. If marriage goes, there goes our society. Just practical, common knowledge. But marriage is the place where the gospel is declared, the man representing Christ, the woman representing the church. Pray for the marriages. Pray for your own marriages. And then finally, pray for the youth of our city. We're a young city. Pray that we would be able to reach them with the gospel. Pray for the youth in this middle school. Amen? Take five minutes, just a couple of folks together, a little circle. I'll dismiss us at the end of that time. So just please pray. Building marriages and youth. In Psalm 67, there is a beautiful blessing for God's people. And as you depart, as we depart this afternoon, I just want to bless you with it. And bless us with it. And here's what it says. May God be gracious to us, to you, Palm Vista. May God bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way, O Lord, may be known on the earth. That your saving power may be known among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. God bless you. Thank you for coming this evening.